Good morning, Starshine. Oh. And by good morning, I mean good four o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, yes. It's my favorite time. I actually just woke up. I always assume that you've just woken up. That's a good assumption. Yeah, I've really reverted back to my, I don't know what animal is like very sleepy, my sloth self. Sloths definitely, I think, are the way to go. I was just laughing because I recently rewatched the entire show, New Girl, which is a show where oh, Zoe yeah, Deschanel, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's one part where one of the roommates is pretending to be gay in order to make a situation go okay at the apartment. And someone asked them what kind of guys they're into and they don't know what to say. And they say, I'm really into sleepy guys, sleepers, we call them. <laughs> and that just made me think of you. <laughs> like, you're the, you're the actual sleepy one. You're, you are the mythical sleeper. When you rewatched the show, though, when that line came out, did you think of me or did you? No, only- I just thought of you now when you told me that you've reverted to your sloth culture. All right. So you get one point, not two points, but that's still pretty good. You did pretty good. I'm running a um, surplus of points at all times anyway. A grunge girl is away for the weekend on a little trip, a little solo mm-hmm. trip. So I... And when the cat is away, the mice will sleep. Yes. <laughs> yes, the mouse will, sl- will sleep. I just imagine you and, and Skeeter like looking at each other like, you ready? You're like, yeah, okay. And then you just both go take a nap. It's been very nappy. It's been good. I also think I hit a new low or maybe oh. this is a high. I need to get your opinion on this. So I've been playing these like ridiculously hard Sudoku puzzles online for mm-hmm. like a year now. Right. On this site. They're just real hard. You know, they take me multiple hours to solve. They're like right. variants of Sudoku, right? If you were on Dr. Phil, your little subtitle would say addicted to Sudoku. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it would. <laughs> um, and I found a, a British man on YouTube who is mm-hmm. like just a puzzle enthusiast, like him and some other okay. guy. And they just solve weird Sudokus and Sudoku variants and other like logic puzzles online they just do it in real time and you just are watching a ton of that well not a ton but i did watch like an hour of this british man going like oh no is this corner square oh bonnets i think it's a three (laughs) uh you know i was thinking about the fact that i was watching this while i was watching this right thinking what does this mean does it mean that i'm getting old yes and that's fine is this bad? Is Hav, I need your opinion. No, I think it's great. I was just comparing it to my recently, I am a frequent Reddit browser, but I feel like Reddit has been becoming a saltier and saltier experience. And I've been finding that more and more distasteful. But I've adopted this strategy of following all of these subreddits that are based on identifying things. So like, what is this bug? What is this thing? What is this plant? Literally just like tins of subreddits that are like, what is this blank, which are just full of enthusiasts, like amateur, you know, entomologists being like, well, that's, of course, a southern lanternfly. You're really lucky to see one. And it's really uplifted my Reddit experience. No, that makes sense. I imagine it's the same kind of feeling you get going through that version of reddit as you do like watching star trek you know yes oh absolutely 
I get it. I get it. I've come across those subreddits too, and I also find them very enjoyable and wholesome and like the best aspect of, of yep. the internet. Soothing to the old brain. Yeah, Reddit's kind of one of the last enclaves of OG internet that still kind of exists in mm-hmm. my brain of a, a place to go where, yeah, there's the saltiness, but there's also like the pure yeah. joy of, of human uh, ridiculousness on display. It's a vanishing, vanishing virtue amongst the, the internet. Yeah, that's true. I don't know how interesting that is to just hear two millennials complain about how the internet was used to be better. So several listeners have commented on our recent episodes and said they love the hi, how are you section and that we should always keep doing the greetings and rambling because they love it. So I think people love this kind of discussion that we're having right now. It's the equivalent of those puzzle videos you've been watching. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's the equivalent of the joy that I get on Reddit too, of like I'm deep in the comments of like someone's post about the best lotion that they should use Mm -hmm. that doesn't encourage like redness and it's two bros end up chatting back and forth being like, hey man, I did this and it's like the little personality. CeraVe, bro. Yeah, CeraVe is pretty good. But, you know, it has like, I don't even know how to pronounce it, like stearic alcohol in it or something <gasps> that, um, I don't know. I don't know. Some studies are like, I don't know. In general, listeners, by in the general, way. In general, I'm looking for a lotion alternative is what I'm going to say. <laughs> but what were you oh going to say? Oh, my God. I was just going to say, dear listeners, you all, I see so often really sweet notifications for really sweet comments you all make on various platforms telling us nice things about different episodes. Just know that even if I don't reply to your comment, I I see it and I like it. I love when you guys do that and it brings me a lot of joy. So just know this is a shout out to all you, the commenters on various platforms. You're great. Yeah. Keep it up. I agree with that. It does tickle us. This is all about, you know, human connection, which is just a form of God connection. (laughs) Now you sound like me. And it's annoying. Yeah, I know it's annoying. Well, <laughs> look, you blame me for not being able to deal with earnestness, you know? I think, right. I think someone... <laughs> I'm allergic. You used to be a vicious gay. I know. And I've I've inverted that energy into niceness. Where do you take your, like, vicious, cynical energy? And where do you put it? I'm not sure how healthy this is, but this is the gospel truth about how I made this transition to not being so mean all the time. I realized slowly that being mean was about getting a reaction out of people. And then I realized that I could get a reaction out of people by being nice instead. And it would have the added benefit of not causing so much trouble and misery. And so I turned my deep-seated need for attention and validation into a source of being kind to people and it is it still feeds the same hunger so you wanted reactions but like why did you want the reaction what's the deeper reason why you wanted a oh it's just like trauma i'm a leo also one of those two things is the explanation that's interesting i just never i don't know you just don't you don't want attention so you don't understand this well, I wanted to. I was in theater in high school, you know. Yeah, I have a, I have a fucking podcast. Oh, you know? great! Then why do you question it? I'm why do you question, question my exploring. need for attention? I'm not exploring. Just usually, I feel like when people lash out, 
at other people and they're mean. It's because they hate themselves. Oh, yeah. I mean, it started when I came out in high school. I was just sort of like, this is what gays are supposed to do. And then as my life got sort of worse and worse uh, in those early years of being out of the closet, uh, it was it became like a defense mechanism. And then it became very ingrained. And then I started transitioning. I needed those defense mechanisms even more. So, you know, it's a combination of like various traumas and oppressions. Mm, yeah, that sucks. A melange. It's a shame because, you know, the world needs more earnest homosexuals. I know. I know. You too can transform your homosexual desire for validation into a source of being kind. For only three low payments of $19.99, I'll send you my eight cassette tapes. There's a twisted, like, alt-right take here. Maybe someone could make the case where no, don't transition. Don't become a woman. Just become an earnest homosexual. <laughs> it's better for you. It's better for the It's world. better for you. It's better for America. Better for America. But, uh, you know. How am I, you ask? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how are you? How are you doing, Hava? How are you doing? I'm having a lovely day today, but it's been a lot of a week. My beloved boyfriend, day before yesterday, did some yard work and something got up in his eye and he had got a corneal abrasion oh, no. and he had to go to the er and then he had to get antibiotic cream to put in his beautiful little eyeballs and it's just been a whole hoopla but he's doing he's recovering well now he's back to his normal chipper self today but it was a quite a journey <laughs> to deal with that sucks i'm imagining your boyfriend doing yard work and it is beautiful it's yeah i'm i'm seeing i couldn't agree more and, yeah, <laughs> and he loves to do yard work and manual labor of all kinds is it hot for you if your boyfriend is like holding like a, like a rake that's bigger than his body <laughs> the rake i feel like is the least sexy of the lawn tools okay everybody knows that anyway Enough of this nonsense. I brought something great today, I think. It's kind of wild that we haven't talked very much about this Talmudic character at all on the show. Because they're very much someone who will slash should have already given our show a lot of material. What do you already know about a little someone called Bruria? What? Nothing. Zero. Okay, great. You're about to be enlightened. Okay, Astute listeners may know, Bruria is one of the most fully characterized women in Talmud. She is a woman who has a ton of stories written about her. She was Rebbe Mayer's wife, friend of the show, Rebbe Mayer. Notoriously wise, notoriously sassy, just notoriously great. So we're going to talk about some Bruria stories, some Bruria slander. And then some Brewer slander redemption at the very end. So strap in. Okay, great. Strap in and strap on. Okay, our introductory Brewer story is on Pesachim 62b, where we read, Rabbi Simlai said to Rabbi Yochanan, teach me the book of genealogies in three months. Rabbi Yochanan took a chunk of dirt and threw it at him. And said, Bruria, the wife of Rabbi Meir and the daughter of Rabbi Hanania ben Teradion, was so sharp and had such a good memory that she learned 300 halakot in one day from 300 sages. And nonetheless, she did not fulfill her responsibility to learn the book of genealogies in three years. 
And you're saying I should teach it to you in three months after your inappropriate quest. I will not teach you at all. So basically, this guy, Ruby Simlai, is like, hey, Ruby Yochanan, teach me this really complicated thing in three months. Ruby Yochanan's like, you buffoon. Compare yourself to Bruria, who learned so much from so many people in such a short period of time. And even she couldn't learn this thing in three years. You are an absolute fool to think you could do it in three months if Whoa. she couldn't. Okay, okay. So she's very cool. I'm curious about what this work is that this book of, uh, what was it? The book of gener- of genealogies. Is this like genealogies in Bible or we? Uh, the book of genealogies was a collection of Tenetic teachings that formed a midrash on the book of Chronicles, which Ooh, uh, okay. a lot of the book of Chronicles is genealogy and is extremely freaking boring. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That needs a midrash for sure to make it better. This is just a, a story that encapsulates how cool and learned Bruria was, which already sets her apart from many women we've talked about on the show, or sets how she's spoken about apart from many women on the show. You know, I'm thinking back to our episode about the three daughters of Rabbi Nachman who were accused of being witches because they could stir the soup without burning their hands and ultimately they were confirmed that they were not righteous and they were witches. Bruria really like stands out in that crowd. I'm glad the tales of Bruria made it to us. So now we'll have another tale of of Bruria and her husband, Rebbe Mayer, on Brachot 10A. There were ne'er-do-wells in Rebbe Mayer's neighborhood who caused him a great deal of anguish walking on his lawn, breaking his window with a baseball, all that sandlot bullshit. And Rebbe Mayer prayed for God to have mercy on them so that they should die. What? Yes, Rebbe Mayer was so annoyed with these dang kids, Scooby-Doo style, that he prayed for them to die, you know, in a roundabout, passive-aggressive way. Okay, okay. And Rebbe Mayer's wife, Buria, said to him, what are you thinking? As it is written... Let sins cease from the land. Psalm 104. Do you interpret it to mean that it's better that the wicked were destroyed? But it is not written, let sinners rejoice. Rather, it is written, let sins cease. AKA, you have no standing to pray for these people to die because this verse contradicts you. And moreover, if you go to the end of the verse where it says, and the wicked will be no more. If you suggest that this means that it refers to the demise of evildoers... How is it possible that the wicked will be no more? Rather, pray that God will have mercy on them, that they should repent. And he saw that Bruria was correct, and he prayed for God to have mercy on them, and they repented. Um, Yeah. So not only is uh, the great Bruria very wise and learned in the ways of halacha, she's so wise that she's able to tell Rabbi Meir, one of the wisest sages of his generation, that he's a fool, and to be right. Okay, okay. That's neat. That's neat. This feels like a very classic, like, oh, you got to listen to the lady's advice, your wife. Mm-hmm, no. Right. Happy wife, happy life. So she really she really stands out amongst female characters of the Talmud, who I feel like most of the stories that we have had the chance to read about the wives of the rabbis are pretty critical of the wives and their behavior. But these stories are pretty unabashedly pro, pro-wife, pro pro-Buria, which is a, a pleasant and refreshing change. So now we're going to have the wildest story, the, the pinnacle story of the episode. This is on Avodah Zarah 18a. There's 
quite a few parts. And this is where we get into our Breweria slander slash Breweria redemption. So Breweria, the wife of Rabbi Mayer, was a daughter of Rabbi Chaninia ben Teradion. She said to Rabbi Mayer, it is a disrespectful matter to me that my sister is sitting in a brothel, aka that she's a sex worker, it seems. So you need to do something about this. So Rebbe Mayer took a vessel full of money and he went and he said to himself, if no transgression was committed with her, a miracle will be performed. And if she committed a transgression, no miracle will be performed. AKA problematic fave Rebbe Mayer is saying, if she has been having sex in this brothel, then no miracle. But if she hasn't been having sex, yes, miracle. Rebbe Mayer starts off with some slut shaming. Well, I mean, is it slut shaming? I mean, it's complicated, especially for, as we'll see as the story goes on, the circumstances of why she's she's in this bordello okay, are okay. murky at best. So Rebbe Mayer went dressed as a Roman soldier, and he said, basically, fuck me. And she said, I'm menstruating and I can't. And he said, I'll wait. And she said, there are many beautiful women in the brothel many women who are more beautiful than I. And so he said to himself, I can conclude from her responses that she did not commit a transgression, as she probably said this to all those who come. Oh, I don't know about that, Rabbi Mayer. <laughs> I don't know if you can jump to that conclusion. Maybe she just recognized her brother-in-law dressed up as a Roman soldier. I mean, if she's not having sex with people, why would she do in there? You know? I know. Well, again, this will be a subject to be discussed more as as this story goes on. But yes, Ruby Mayer concludes she is pure enough that a miracle will be performed for her and he can continue this operation, get Breweria's sister. So Ruby Mayer went over to her guard Mm -hmm. and said to him, give her to me. And the guard said, I fear that if I do, I'll be punished by the government. And Rebbe Mayer said, take this vessel's full of money and give half as a bribe to the government and half will be for you as a bribe for you. And the guard said to him, when the money is finished, what will I do? And Rebbe Mayer said to him, say, God of Mayer, answer me and you will be saved. And say like, hey God, I know this guy, Rebbe Mayer, like do me a favor on his behalf. And the guard said, Who can say that this will happen? How do I know that I'll be saved by this utterance? And Rabbi Mayer said, you'll now see. And there were carnivorous dogs that would devour people. Rabbi Mayer took a bunch of earth and threw it at them. And when they came to devour him, he said, God of Mayer, answer me. And the dogs left him alone. And after seeing this, the guard gave him the daughter. So the guard would have been fired from his job because she's menstrual. Like, why is... Well, this is what I'm saying. This is where we get into the less pleasant parts of this sugya because I'm wondering if she is, like, captive in this brothel yeah, somehow. Yeah, that seems to the make guard, sense. The circumstances of the guard are, are confusing to me. And it almost reflects the story we talked about with the three daughters of Rabbi Nachman they get captured, right? And then Mm. the guy who's in there with them is sort of trying to figure out if they've been pure or if they've hooked up with their captors. Right, right, right. More sort of like prognosticating on on women's behavior under duress. Okay, okay. This makes me think the most likely scenario is that this woman was kidnapped. Right. But also, I just don't know that much about the politics and the operation of Roman-era brothels. So... Maybe it's just like people had guards 
there to make sure nothing got out of hand and it was fine. But then like, why would the guard be punished for, you know? I know. And also why by the government? Yeah. yeah there's, it's very strange. I don't understand how this um, yeah. institution functions, but anyway. So ultimately this matter was heard in the King's court. So the guard was brought up on charges of some kind and the guard was brought and taken to be hanged. And he said, God of mayor, answer me. And as they tried to lower him down, they were unable to hang him. And they said to him, what is this? And he said, this is what happened. And he told them all about Rebbe Mayer and how everything unfolded. And they went and engraved the image of Rebbe Mayer at the entrance of Rome, where it would be seen by Ed everyone and said, anyone who sees a man with this face should bring him here. One day, Romans saw Rebbe Mayer and ran after him and he ran away from them and entered a brothel to hide. Okay. Some say he escaped his capture because he saw food cooked by Gentiles and dipped his finger in the food and tasted it with the other finger and thereby fooled them into thinking he was eating their food, which they know Rebbe Mayer would never do. Some say he escaped detection because Elijah came and appeared to them as a sex worker and embraced Rebbe Mayer. Um, oh, okay. And the Romans who were chasing him said, heaven forbid, if this were Rebbe Mayer, he would not act in that manner. He would not be having sex with ghost Elijah in the guise of a Roman sex worker. And Rebbe Mayer rose, fled, and arrived in Babylonia. The Gemara also says there are those who say he fled because of this incident, and there are those who say he fled from embarrassment due to the incident involving his wife, Bruria. Oh, Okay. Yes, we'll get to the slander. Let's talk about this story first. Very wild. Yeah. Uh, how, how did the hanging not work? Like technically, the, he was a he was made invincible by God. It was okay. a Superman situation. Sounds. That's fine. I'm fine with that. That's classic. That's internally consistent. Uh, hiding in a brothel. That's interesting. Um, yeah, you know, nice poetic symmetry in the end. Right, right. It's a callback. Yeah, we like that. Elijah making out. Uh, yeah, that that's one of my favorite parts. Totally. Is is Elijah turning into a sex worker and embracing Ruby Mayer? Oh, I mean, what else is there to say? I know. I know. It's, it's, a it's wonderful. It's great. Except for the horrible parts. Okay, so listeners, we're about to get to the Bruria slander. I want to let you all know with a content warning that the Bruria slander involves explicit discussion of self-harm, severe self-harm. So if that would not be good for you to listen to, then this is a great time for you to take off from the episode and just know that in the end, all is redeemed. And Bruria, we counteract the slander against her and she's wonderful and wise but if that is okay for you to listen to then continue on into the slander verse so rashi comments on this ending note because it's not clear what the incident with bruria is what that means and right. so rashi comes to comment and says this is because one time bruria mocked what the sages said when they said the conviction of women is weak and Rebbe Mayer said to himself, by your life, in the end, you will concede. And so he commanded one of his students to test her with a matter of sin. And the student pleaded with her many days until she agreed to sleep with him. And when she found out, she strangled herself. And so Rebbe Mayer ran away due to embarrassment. Wait, when she found out that she had been... That convinced? this whole thing was like a sh she's all that situation. I'm confused. Explain. 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 So... Rashi is saying that what the incident is, is 
Breweria mocked the sages for saying women are weak-willed. Yep. Rabbi Mayer said, okay, I'm going to use one of my students to sexually entrap my own wife. It's a horny guy. It's a to really show, horny guy. Yeah, he's again a lot of role play, a lot of cucking in this yeah, episode. Yeah. He says, I'm going to use one of my students to sexually entrap my own wife. And then when Breweria realizes that the whole thing was a setup, that's when she strangles herself and Rebbe Mayer runs away due to embarrassment. Oh, okay. okay. So this is the Breweria slander. Tell me how this... <laughs> Uh, story lands for you, first of all, before I go on. How, how does Rashi know? Like, where's, what's Rashi's source? You know, Rashi's, he, he's a modern, you know? What's, what's, what's he know? <laughs> Practically. I would love to know where this is coming from. Also, Revy Mayer luring people into sin seems pretty inconsistent with rabbinic principles, just to prove a point. Yeah, but I think he's just a horny guy. I feel like <laughs> it's that, just that part, a kink. that doesn't shock me. Oh, no, don't seduce my wife. Anything but that. Yeah, yeah. Then I, I would just be so cucked. I, just, I actually, what I want to know is what does this bull look like? Like, what's the right. Like, who is this right. guy? Unfortunately, we never find out. Does Rashi not say the name of the student? No, no, no. Oh, okay. okay. And we'll t- that will become more clear as why as we go on. So okay. when I first read this incident, I was like, this does not sound like the brewery uh, I've come to know and love. No. One, I feel like she wouldn't give in. And two, I feel like she would know that it was her husband and she would have told him what's what if this happened. I don't know if she would have given in or not. I don't think she would have seen it as giving in if she yeah, did. Yeah, whatever it is, I just don't, this doesn't feel consistent with Breweria's character. Right, definitely for not, for sure. So then I wondered, did Rashi make this up? Is this somewhere else in the Talmud? And there is a source for it. Did somebody else make it up? And Rashi is reporting it. All of these issues have problems. One, this incident is not reported anywhere else in the Talmud. The mm-hmm. incident with Beria is only explained by Rashi. So if Rashi just made it up and put it in there, that raises serious concerns about Rashi's methodology. In general, although Rashi is like, I take issue with him plenty of times, I generally think of him as someone who's a a stickler about methodology. And if there's anything he wouldn't do, it's make some shit up and just stick it in there. Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. And similarly, I don't think he would just add something that he heard. So I found this incredible article from Tablet, which I usually I'm not that thrilled to be reading, but in this case, it was a wonderful article. You can look it up. It's called The Mysterious Breweria Episode. If you Google that, you'll find the article where the author completely takes apart trying to find the source for this Breweria episode and sort of examines the ways that it could have come about given the timeline and how proximate all the sources were to each other. He goes through this explanation of the way manuscripts were produced in the time that Rashi's commentaries were being integrated. And apparently the way it happened was not necessarily that you copied everything onto a blank sheet of paper, but oftentimes you were copying manuscripts onto something that already had some of the writing on it and updating an existing manuscript. Right, right, right. In that case, it would be easy for someone to mistake a margin note for something that should have been canonical text. And this happens in other manuscripts of Talmud where, like, imagine you wrote a little, like, arrow and then added a word to make a sentence make sense. And then someone was copying that and they were like, oh, this goes here. 
and they, they just copied it in so that it seemed like it was always part of it. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. And so basically this person's conclusion is that this was added by mistake during the manuscript transcription process. By Rashi added it to his No, commentary? by someone who was copying out an important manuscript that we used to produce our Talmuds. So, like, Rashi didn't write that note. Instead, someone attributed a note to Rashi that was never Rashi's to begin with. That was the conclusion of the article, which I found pretty compelling. I highly recommend, if you're into this kind of quest, I highly recommend you go out and read this article because it was super interesting to learn about all this stuff. Yeah, so it seems like the the story of Bruria, the incident of Bruria, is not this, what Rashi is saying. And what the article goes on to say is actually, this is a two-part story. One part is when Bruria tells Rebbe Mayer to go get her sister out of the brothel. That's the incident with Bruria. And the second part is the whole deal with the guard getting hanged. The last sentence of the whole story is, there are those who say he fled because of this incident and those who say he fled due to the incident involving Bruria. And so rather than being about some extraneous episode being referred to somewhere else, it's just about the earlier episode. Oh, okay. He left because he needed to take the sister away he from left the situation. Because he needed to take the sister. He left because he was uh, embarrassed to have been seen entering a brothel. Any, any number of interpretations are possible. Okay, so maybe it's true that that's what the incident means. And maybe it's true that Rashi didn't write that other story, but there's still the open question that this story exists about Bruria. It might not be Rashi that wrote it, This, but someone right. wrote it somewhere. Right. I mean, it seems to me that someone some somewhere out there was a stinker who didn't like uh, a girl boss winning and decided to write some slander about Bruria. And that's how it got in there. I mean, that was my instinct at first was just thinking, oh, Rashi is just trying to tear her down. I think this is just like some folk tradition or some some person who who was not a fan of how Bruria was sort of being uplifted as, a, for instance, being able to study Torah with men, being able to contradict and win Torah discussions with men. And so they needed to bring something in to bring Bruria down a peg. Interesting, yeah. So that's the Bruria slander or redemption. Oh, there's probably so much of that stuff happening in the Talmud. I mean, I know there is weird copying errors and insertions. I d- would like to know more examples of stuff like that happening. Like, yeah, uh, that really ch- that really flips things on uh, on their head. Well, you're gonna have to go read the article. I know, I know. We're gonna have to read the article. I don't even know, like, what is that kind of like. Uh, reasoning called like here's like a weird way of extracting information from this source i think it's just called textual criticism but it's it's like the actual like the physics of the text the material of the text and the historical process of creating the text you know i don't know wow okay bruria bruria you heard it here last um yeah i did i definitely (laughs) did uh yeah. Anyway, that's my that's my sweet and spicy chicken wing that I brought for us today. Mm, great. I um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you savor the sauce, listeners. Thanks for getting lost in the sauce along with us. If you're not already a patron, join our Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/HiHowAreYou to get a ton of back episodes and patron episodes that we continue to put out. If you're already a patron, we love you and adore you and give you a metaphysical kiss on the forehead. 
and (laughs) (laughs) i think i need that personally yeah i know that's why what i need i give to our listeners yeah anyway that's all that i have to say for this week and so without further ado shavuot